Ask a VC by Ryan Floyd. Thoughts on venture capital and growing your SaaS startup. Hey, everyone. My name is Ryan Floyd. I'm a managing director at Storm Ventures. We're an early stage B2B focused venture fund. Welcome to the new episode of my podcast series, Ask a VC, where I give advice to you to help you grow your SaaS business. Similar, I'd be sharing with you if I was an investor or advisor on the board of your company. I originally recorded most of these episodes as videos, which you can see on my YouTube channel, Ask a VC. So as a result, please excuse any visual references in the podcast, though I don't think there are many. I hope you enjoy. Today, we're going to talk about channels and partners. They're so critical to building any successful SaaS business, but there's a lot of challenges in building those channels effectively. So let's get into it. Okay, so today uh, we're here talking with uh, Christoph, who most recently was uh, CRO at Mobile Iron, which was a storm portfolio company, and actually has been spending the last several months with us as an EIR. And wanted to have him on today because Mobile Iron had a really robust channel program and did a lot of business via partners and channels. And so we thought it would be a great conversation as it relates to other startups and, and drawing some lessons out of that experience. So Christoph, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right, well, so let's just start. I mean, look, most companies find value at some point working with you know, partners and channels, but in my conversation with startups, it's often really confusing about when to engage, when to kind of start that process, how to think about these partners um, so let's, let's just start with the basics. Tell everybody, like from your point of view, what, what really constitutes a, a partner, a channel, a reseller? Can you kind of draw some of that out so we can get some basic vocabulary out of the way? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, obviously there are different types of channel partners that you might want to work with, right? So they're the type of like resellers, distributors, uh, service providers, system integrators. So maybe either also ecosystem um, partners. So there's a multitude of different types of channel partners that you might want to work with. And obviously not all of them typically fit into your go-to-market playbook, right? So depending on your, the way that you do business, or your products, your solutions, you might want to choose one or the other or all of them, but it's really, it has to be tied to actually what your playbook and your solution set in the market looks like, what kind of channel partners to work with. Yeah. You know, I, I often think about it. I think it's great. I, you know, I, I think about it just really simplistically is. They're, they're partners that uh, in service providers, really, that are in the field who know your customer really well and likely are uh, working with them, solving lots of different problems. Um, and, you know, you're really just uh, as, as the, the software company, um, you know, working with them to help provide a better service into that into that customer. Mm-hmm. Um, when when. You know, these companies start to think about working with partners, Christoph. They, you know, often most of them get excited about some of these really big organizations. Um, you know, whether it's the big consulting firms, the big system integrators. And, you know, it always seems to me it's easy to get lost with some of these bigger partners. Um, you know, there's so much going on. What, you know, what, let, let's just kind of start there about what constitutes a good partner. What, you know, how should companies kind of get started? 
in thinking about channels and partnerships? I mean, it's exactly as you mentioned. Uh, obviously, it's very exciting if you work with like a large partner, large system integrator or other type of partner. But obviously, um, you need to do a lot to actually win their attention, to make sure that they are motivated and uh, to work with you and drive business with you, right? Typically, I find that is more easy with smaller partners, right? So you have a closer contact, you have a chance to cover more of their sales organization with your sales enablement your channel enablement program and so if you have uh, smaller organizations committed maybe they're from their sales leadership uh, point or maybe even the the, the ceo you have buy-in from their ceo then typically um, you can uh, be productive with these type of channels uh, much faster than with the larger ones but obviously you have to really find the right ones right and make sure that you find the right uh, uh, model to work with them. And that is actually the key criteria there. It, they have to understand that there is a lot of business to do with you, not just what you, what you want them to do, right? Want to, they, you want to sell your, them, uh, you, them to sell your product, your services, your solution. But obviously they have maybe even an, an additional interest in adding their services, um, um, on top, right? So services that you as a vendor might not want to provide or cannot even provide, right? Right. It might be that they can actually upsell you to um, other solutions that they have sold into their customer base. And clearly, I mean, they also have to have the uh, um, the, the right uh, customers that you are looking or that you want to work with, right? So getting access to their customer base is important, but for right. also for, for these channel partners, it is critical that they um, have a solution that they can actually sell into these customers that fits well with other things that they do with these customers, like providing services. Yeah, I think, you know, that that point is so right on. I mean, really thinking about strategically how you fit into their bag of products and services, because, you know, I think so many startups make the mistake and they think that uh, a channel is like an extension of their sales force and they're out selling their product. And, and, and the reality is, you know, to some extent, there's there's truth in that. But, but really, it has to fit strategically into what that reseller's business is all about uh, in servicing that customer. And, and I think about it just really simplistically, and it may sound obvious, but the best partners are the ones where there's really a lot of initial pull in the field. Like I generally think that partners are not great at generating demand. Like if you're looking to a partner to create demand for whatever it is you're selling, it's probably going to be a pretty tough road to hoe in, in, in general, at least in my experience. What you really want to find is where there's actual pull in the field around your product uh, with those partners because that way then you know you can make those partners you know, relatively successful uh, uh, quickly uh, in, 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 in selling and, and, and driving value into your customers versus you know, a, cold, you know, a cold start uh, where you, know, you don't really know uh, where they ought to go hunting for, for a good fit. All right. And I think the, the point of generating demand, I mean, obviously, if you go in and, and, and expect them to generate demand for your product, your solutions right away, that doesn't work, right? So typically in the beginning, when you start working with them, there's more that you have to provide as a vendor, that you have to give to them um, as a vendor, like give them some initial lead, give them a lot of enablement, give them um, help, uh, the demand that you as a vendor generate, work with these partners to actually fulfill that demand. 
but when a partner actually um, has um, built a business around you, around your products, right? He, he sees that it, he can be successful with your products. Then actually it's the right point to actually work with them on generating demand as well. That is probably the right time to really start your channel marketing with them to make sure that they give you access into their customer base. But before that, I think it's more like a take and give thing, right? So you rather yeah. give them something early on before you can actually start working working with them on generating demand on their own. Well, tell, so tell me, let's go back to Mobile Iron. So tell me, you know, you know, from your, your view into Mobile Iron with their successful channel program, um, since everybody probably isn't familiar with Mobile Iron, maybe you can, you know, walk us through a little bit of that and, and what worked really well at Mobile Iron. Because, you know, when I think about, I think I've told you this story, when I think about what, you know, made Mobile Iron so successful and, you know, dating way back, it was that with the telecom providers, they enable them to sell more plans, data plans into their corporate customers if they were able to provide security on those mobile devices, which is what Mobile Iron did. And so it was really like, you know, when you think about it just from that framework, it was really an amazing match because it served to really drive partner revenue up by bringing Mobile Iron into those accounts because it kind of enabled them to unlock, you know, more with their existing customer base. Exactly. I mean, that was a perfect match, right? We came into the market with a solution that enabled them to support and grow their core business, right? So the example that you brought up with the mobile network operators, I mean, that was exactly the time when they started selling the iPhone into the business, right? So, um, and obviously a solution like ours actually supported that, uh, that goal. And um, we, we actually had different types of channel partners where we, we supported their core business in different ways. So one kind of partner that were these mobile network operators. So we supported their device sales, their data plan sales into the, into the enterprise, right? But there were also um, other partners that, for example, partners that sold the messaging solutions. Like these changed the Lotus Note service back in the days, right? So, and they all had to um, provide mobile access to these uh, messaging solutions, right? So that is exactly where we came into play. So they could actually enhance their core business and the, what they sold to their customers with the, with, a, with mobile, right? And then also they, we, there were other types of partners um, that where we actually kind of substituted their core business. They saw their core business and, that, and that back in the days it was like the, the, the Blackberry uh, business for them, right? Everybody had a Blackberry and then everybody wanted an iPhone. Right. So they saw their business uh, shrinking. Right. So they had to find a new business that was close. They, they wanted to sell to the same buyer. Uh, they wanted to tap into the same budget. And that is where actually we came in and so helped them to actually substitute their core business with something else. So it has to always be a match, right? Match with something that they do already. And then right. it's much easier to convince them. And if you support them in their way to keep a business, to create in business, um, that is when you find a good match and you get a lot of attention from these channel partners to work with you. What, you know, drawing from that experience, Christoph, what, what are some of the, like, if you were to give advice to the, you know, the startups that are out there and the founders thinking about trying to form a partnership like you were able to do at, at Mobile Iron with these mobile operators, what are some of like the pitfalls that they ought to look out for? What are some of the things you tell them to avoid or you know, uh, or to, to, to do to make those partnerships 
and those those reseller relationships even more successful. Mm -hmm. So I think what what uh, these organizations need to understand is that it's not done by signing up a partner. Right. So that is totally the wrong um, um, expectation there. It never works with you sign a partner and the partner runs and is productive. And it magically, right? it magically appears. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't happen. Right? right. So, I mean, there are miracles, but they don't happen frequently. So um, actually, you have to invest in these partnerships. Right. So you need to be ready, actually. And we also need to make sure that um, you, are, you as an organization already, you have everything you need to run a successful or to build a successful channel business. And that goes with enablement, right? You need to be sure to enable these partners. So with um, like sales, pre-sales enablement, when you want them to provide services on, for your product, it's kind of, you need to do services, post-sale enablement, right? So or support enablement. If you ask your partners to provide like first or second level support for your solutions, you need to enable them to do so right because these partners when they are not enabled they are not confident in delivering what they are supposed to deliver they that's simply won't do it that's right? right and their loyalty so, i think that's a great point their loyalty probably at least at the beginning is going to be definitely on the side of the customer not with you oh, right? oh yeah absolutely i mean these are long-lasting relationships yeah. right yeah and these are trusted relationships too and you come in as the new vendor you have to build up that trust and, i mean i think it's also yeah, it's a great it's a great point that I think, you know, sometimes too there's this feeling that you can, you know, give a partner your product to sell and they can just make it successful in that account. But the advice I would give is like early on, even though you're working with a partner and a reseller, you ought to probably be spending just as much time in that customer as you would with somebody you're taking direct until you feel to your point you feel confident that the partner feels confident in the implementation and the post-sale support. So that that doesn't fall through the cracks, because if that you, you're right, I mean, if that reseller isn't successful post sales, they're going to be very reluctant to continue to try and expand the relationship with the rest of their customer base going forward. So those that initial traction and that initial time you spend making those partners and your customers successful is going to be time well spent. And it might be counterintuitive because you might think, well, geez, I'm paying this partner so much money. Uh, to help me in these accounts, shouldn't they be able to do it? Maybe it's worth you know commenting on that because you know I, the just in terms of the compensation because I think a lot of people feel like ah I'm giving up so much to these partners, especially early on. How how, how should people think about that uh, in terms of you know compensating the channel and you know really think about investing against that for you know future growth? I mean. In the beginning, it, it clearly is an investment, right? So you invest in a lot of resources, you invest in collateral and enablement, you invest in giving them maybe more margin than they would deserve on one of the first deals, right? So by the end, it's not, not so different from what you see in your own direct sales or on your sales organization, right? If you hire a new rep, he's not productive on day one either. Right. So uh, you might pay a salary to a whole group of newbies um, on day one and you will get the, the benefits in six months or whenever they are ready. So I think that kind of analogy is pretty much the same. Right. So you have to see it as an investment. So channel business doesn't come for free. It comes as an you have to invest into it. You have to figure out if it's the right thing for you to do. But then you have to invest in it in terms of enablement, in terms of giving them margin, in terms of many, many other things. Uh, throughout your organization, right? And that's not like a task that you can do with like 
one person doing that uh, part-time. So it, it's really, as a sales and go-to-market organization, it's something that you have to consciously decide, understand what the investment needs to be, and then go for it. And also expect in the beginning that you need to shadow um, the first deals very, very closely. Because the one thing that you don't want is that the channel partners, they, they tr uh, work on deals on their own and they fail. Right. So you might have done all your enablement. It might all be great, but still they fail on their first one, two, three, five deals. Guess what? Six, seventh, tenth deals is something they don't even bring you into anymore. Right. So the very first ones need to be successful. And the best way to make these successful is if you are close to these deals, you work with them, you shadow them, you provide resources and support. And um, then uh, and maybe you even kind of hand a deal on the silver tablet, right? So like a lighthouse deal, something that's very visible in a key customer. So just in order to get attention and show and prove right. that you can win together. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah. So the lesson learned is be generous, probably be more generous than you might think uh, you should be because you really ought to be thinking of it as an investment. I think that's a great analogy to really be thinking as an investment because it's got a timeline and a horizon and that also means you gotta be measuring it and really thinking about it as an investment that you're making, you know, as an organization, which also, you know, implies it's not something you ought to do, you know, 50 different partners at the beginning, right? I mean, you probably only only spend time with one or two partners at the beginning and make sure you make those successful and be super thoughtful about those relationships versus trying to you know, stand up some huge reseller network at the beginning because it's almost, you know, guaranteed mm -hmm. to fail if that's the, the path you go down. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think it's really quality over quantity in the beginning, right? You want to show success right away with the right partners because let's face it, that also attracts other partners, right? These partners, they are in competition to each other as well, right? So, and if, if one partner in a, in a space is successful with working with you, the others will, will come to you and they're kind of begging <laughs> to work with you, right? And that's a nice thing. You're, 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 they come to you because they want to work with Right. And if you then create like a fair uh, competition between these partners, right? So like, okay, everybody's treated the same way. If there are conflicts between partners, you as a vendor help to resolve these part these conflicts and, and so on, right? Then you, you create like a healthy business where everybody is motivated and feels trust in working with you. Yeah. Well, so, you know, uh, I think that, that, that that's right on the money. So thinking about then you've got these partners uh stood up you've, you've, you've focused on one or two what you know what what should your expectations you think be in terms of of timing because i know that's another stumbling block that a lot of founders get frustrated by is that you know it just it takes time which i think also you know really makes the argument this isn't where you ought to be investing really early on you know when you're you know less than a million dollars in arr i mean it's just because the time frame to get some of these networks stood up you know, can, can be longer, well, you know, what thoughts do you have? I mean, what should, what should your expectations be on timing, you know, results, you know, how should one think about that? So, I, I mean, you cannot start too early, right? So if you are uh, not ready yet with your go-to-market playbook, so you are still kind of experimenting, you don't want to have partners experiment the same way, right? You have to understand, okay, what actually works. And then you have to also transfer that to, uh, to um, a, a playbook that actually works for a partner as well. 
right? So you kind of need to translate that into something that works because obviously there's the same pitch that you as a vendor would uh, would do is not not the pitch that a channel partner can do in certain. I mean, they're like there's a huge overlap, but it's not exactly the same typically, right? So you need to be able to actually build that and help them to do that. And that, I mean, that takes time. You also need to, the same way, like you need to build your own playbook. You also need to figure out how to be successful with the channel. So it takes time, no doubt. But um, I think we, we talked about it earlier, right? So when you actually help them on the demand gen side, right? So you maybe hand them ready-made opportunities or leads that they can work on right and they they can start learning from there this actually uh, um, accelerates the 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 time until you see uh, the first success right so i think it's it's absolutely critical to really give them hand them some business ready-made deals or like leads or something that they can practice on those right you might not want to give uh, the your up the top five for the fortune 500 top lead to a brand new partner obviously right or even if, even if you maybe if you know that the partner has a great relationship there and you drive that deal very very closely together with the partner that's not that's a, a chance too right to show that you are aligned and that you give all the support to this particular partner but don't expect that you can like throw a, a, a great lead to them on day one and they can run it uh, right away and um, but what's the timeline i mean it, it really depends on what your sales cycle in the end is right so but it really especially in the beginning it adds time to the sales cycle but later on, right, when these partners are working with their customers uh, that they have a long run trusted relationship with, typically it accelerates your sales cycle, right? So kind of you, you kind of stretch it out a bit in the beginning, but you benefit from it later on because that, because that existing relationship helps you drive the sales cycle. Uh, yeah, down. no, I think that that's right. I mean, it's, that's why you want to make the investment because eventually you know, if you've done mm. your job right, then, you know, you really ought to be accelerating some things because there's opportunities that are going to occur in the field that your partners are going to be aware of that, you know, it's likely that, you know, you may not have seen it uh, as as early and it just kind of accelerates everything uh, with that customer set, especially if those partners are trusted um, relationships with your, your customers already. That just is going to save, you know, a ton of time. You know, I think with the investment too, I mean, really... You know, my advice would be for, for founders to, to really have someone in the organization that's accountable for really looking at these partner relationships and, and, and to see whether or not they're starting to uh, bear fruit uh, for, for whatever reasons that the, you know, the, the, the products resonating with that customer set, the uh, ability to sell makes sense. Um, because, you know, you really got to be spending time thinking about all those questions because, as you said, it's an, you know, it's an investment. And, and the reason that, you know, I usually give the advice to startups to really avoid it early on, you know, when revenue is, you know, like I said, a million dollars in ARR, it's hard to say exactly what the number is, but it's, it's definitely where they're not really into that go to market phase yet of their business. Because if you don't have a sales force yet that can really drive repeatable sales motion, it's really impossible to expect that you're going to get partners that can drive a repeatable sales motion because you have even less control over those partner relationships in terms of how they go out and they sell into that customer set. So really it takes time. First, you really have to believe that you've got a, your own sales force, however you're doing sales, where you can really articulate 
that sales value proposition into the customers and you can really clearly communicate it, deal with objections, know who you're selling to, why you're selling to that person, because you have to be able to translate that into your uh, partner relationships. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're just kind of shooting in the dark and you know it'll be, I think, generally very frustrating and certainly will take a long time uh, to spin up those channels because it'll just be hard to make those partners you know, successful. Like going back to what I said earlier, I think you know, in many ways they fulfill demand, uh, the partner channels, and to really mm -hmm. expect them to be out there prospecting uh, you know, cold leads, that's, that's, that's probably uh, you know, not reasonable to expect them to do that because most of those partner organizations simply don't have the margins uh, to be able to mm -hmm. invest that early into a, a sales cycle. And early on, I mean, uh, your business with them typically is too small, right? They simply right. cannot right. afford it, right? So you have to reach a critical mass before you can actually get more attention, more uh, more prospecting power from them, right? So, I mean, we, we I remember a conversation that we had with a distributor a while ago, right? And um, he told me, you know what? These vendors that are successful working with us, we have at least, and he gave us a number, a certain amount of business with us, right? In this particular case, it was like $3 million, right? He said, all the vendors lower than $3 million, we, we simply cannot afford them the way we, uh, to, to work with them. Um, we, as an organization, we have to have a certain amount of business already, right? So, and that is why, I mean, first beginning phase and the investing phase, you have to give them a little, more, a little bit more until you reach a certain threshold where they see, okay, now it makes sense for me to invest, That's right. right? Not just opportunistic. In, yeah, in I think it's a great point, I mean, you know, because they're making an investment on their side too about whether or not to really, you know, be spending time. And as I just said, they don't have the margins likely that you have in your product business. And so their investment decision in a lot of ways mm -hmm. is even greater to invest against, uh, you know, your, your product. And so, you know, that's, yeah, it just it take time. And I think you have to be aware that they're trying to run their own business. You know, that reminds me of something else you know, I tell founders too, is that, you know, a reason to wait until you've got a little bit of revenue to really chase partners is because, you know, you really can't control whether or not uh, that those partners are going to be successful. I mean, there's, there's, it's an investment, as you said, there's a lot of variability in it. And so really making sure first you're able to nail your own sales motion with whatever you're doing, whether it's product led, whether it's a direct sales effort and feeling confident about that, to me, really seems like a prerequisite before really going after uh, the partners, just because you have just so much control over what you know you're doing uh, internally with your own with your own team. Right, and, and there would also be risk, right? If you're not ready yet, so you don't have that repeatable sales motion, you don't really know how, why you sell, how you sell, and then you start working with partners. I mean, you only have one chance, right? You have to be have you have one chance right. to be successful, and. If, if because you're not ready, it immediately fails. You, I mean, that relationship is gone forever, right? So um, that's why it has to be like a hit right away and therefore be prepared before you actually yeah. start, I would say. Well, uh, Christoph, this has been, um, this is great. I mean, we could, we could talk for hours here about, you know, partnerships and channels, but um, I think this is some good, you know, basics for, for founders out there in terms of how they ought to think about you know, these different relationships. And I appreciate you spending the time and sharing some of the lessons from uh, your time most recently at Mobile Iron. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. 
you found it interesting, please subscribe. If you like it, make sure to share it with your friends. If you've got a suggestion for a topic for this podcast or even a video series, then tweet me. My handle's easy. It's Ryan Floyd, all one word. Or send me an email or even leave a comment on my YouTube channel. All right, until next time, thanks. Be safe. Thank you for listening. Visit youtube.com, ask a VC for a video version of this podcast.